Welcome back to Deadline Day. Let's speak live now to a man who knows what it's like to actually make the move on Deadline Day. Once again, and welcome to Across the Seas, but forever bees, this gloriously professional podcast by and for Brentford fans in America, where our growing numbers are exciting and it's fun to be witness to the meetups and the communities that Brentford has inspired. And we have an American fan. Uh, we're excited to meet him and introduce him to you and hopefully get him to the Red Lion someday because he's from Utica, New York. Mike Sacco, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm pretty stoked about uh, getting the chance to talk a little bit about the team and what it's like to be an American fan growing up like a football fan and then a hockey fan. And it's just a whole other planet. But I've, I'm pretty excited about it. So thank you for having me. So I've got some usual questions for a newer American fan. Like, how is it that you found Brentford at all? So uh, I'll, I'll start from this. My, my son is a club soccer player, and so is, are my nephews. And, of course, my son likes Manchester City. He's another front runner, right? My nephew likes Arsenal, and my other nephew likes Chelsea. Now that doesn't that didn't mean anything to me a year ago. It, it's you know, here's these jerseys with advertisements that are bigger than the logo of the team. So to me, I'm like, uh, you know, whatever. So as my son and my nephews have progressed, and they're you know, my son is a wing back on defense, my nephew is a midi, and my other nephew is a striker. I'm really getting involved in watching the games. It's fascinating, it really is. American football players are lazy. They really are. When you compare them to what the people are doing on the, on the pitch, um, I'd be remiss not to include Ted Lasso is also kind of an evolution of following soccer. So the folks at Apple TV, and I can't exclude Peacock as well. That kind of was the evolution. Now, I wanted to pick a team. I'm a Giants fan and I'm an Islander fan. And if you're familiar with either one of those teams, they're just mediocre at best. At the same time, I don't want to I don't want to like the best team. Um, my son said I'm not allowed to like Manchester City. So I was on Peacock and I'm going through trying to pick a team. And I'm looking at the table, right? Not the standings. You know, I'm trying to figure all this stuff out. And um, I'm like, oh, there's this team. They're like in the middle, you know, like I think Brentford was 10th or 11th at that time. Yeah. So I'm like, maybe I said, let's let's check this team out. Let, let's see about this team. So I'm, you know, watching the replays and I'm doing a little bit of research and I'm finding out that, you know, Brentford was really they weren't really very good for a long, long time. And it's only recently that they've got up into the Premier League, the the top, right? The tippy top. 
So that I was intrigued by that. And then as the research continues, I'm finding out that I'm learning about the owner who is a fan who made some money with gambling and and bought the team. So I thought I was just fascinated by that. I'm like, this is like really cool, like humble beginnings, right? And I just started started getting to know the players a little bit, watching stuff on on replays on Peacock. Because I just I had no idea what I was kind of how I was going to follow the team, what I was going to do. And then, of course, I'm telling my son and my nephews, hey, I have a team. And, you know, oh, they suck. You know, they're teasing me. And I'm like, no, they're they're good. They're like a solid team. I can get behind this team. So I'm watching them really dismantle teams and I'm kind of getting excited about it. And then lo and behold, drum roll, the summer series. Right. So. I'm like, wow, you know, you know, Brentford's in the summer series. So I'm right smack dab. If you're familiar with New York State, you'll know that Utica is literally right in the middle of the state, right in the middle between Syracuse and Albany. There we are. So I'm excited. And of course, everyone in my family's like, oh, it's, you know, Brentford and Fulham. And they're kind of dragging me a bit. But we I get my family, I get my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law and my nephews. And other people that are a part of the club soccer team, we jump in the car, go down to Philly. You know, it didn't work out the way we wanted. Well, I wanted it to, especially losing the Fulham. But it was a great time. And then I'm just, you know, I'm learning about Thomas Frank and kind of how he does business. And I'm just really just loving every minute of it. And that's pretty much where I am. And then also trying to find gear, like trying to find Brentford gear, even last year, it was just a hot mess. Um, Nothing really. It's some woman on Etsy, which is great, makes a sticker. You have to order from the team site. It's just, you know, I don't mind the pound exchange and all that, but it was just kind of difficult. So I've I found a couple things here and there and a friend of ours made us made t-shirts with bees on them for the summer series. So bring us to, it brings me, I guess, to today. And I'm kind of sad at kind of how things are going at this point, but that's kind of how I've gotten to be a Brentford fan. I think that's fairly common story that Brentford's just a really good story. You know, that 74 years in the wilderness before we got back to the top flight and all the tragedies. If, the more you read and the more you find out about our story, the more they're just a wonderful team to support, a wonderful underdog in so many ways. Do you have a first match you remember that you were like, oh, yeah, so, this, is, this is the team? So not being familiar, I didn't understand that there was a little bit. I didn't understand just how things work out in terms of them taking breaks and them, them international friendlies and just that there was always a little bit of a break here and there. So I didn't really understand as I'm watching Peacock, I'm like, well, when does, when does this team play like live, like not a recording? So if I'm correct, it was when they beat Chelsea, Four one. there's a, there's another podcast. It's the besotted podcast. Yeah, sure. familiar with that? Oh, so, of course. I I listen to it every week. Yeah. So the the Chelsea song that they sing, that when they mock Chelsea, like Chelsea gets battered everywhere they go. So 
I really watched the Arsenal game when we first come up. I literally, my most memorable games are the games that had occurred in the past because there just wasn't anything live on the schedule. So the big one was when they beat Man City, November, was it November of 22, I think? And then my son, you know, I'm like, hey, we beat you. And then we beat them again. I think it's it's a lot of those recorded games, watching them beat Liverpool, watching them beat Manchester City, just watching them beat up on Fulham. And I didn't know who the arch enemies were. So you have to understand that cult- culturally, I don't understand the team. So I don't understand like the hate for Fulham and this whole Queen Queens Park Rangers thing. And and I guess we don't say their name. And then you've got I don't understand. And another thing, and I don't I don't mean to dominate the conversation, but I'm just vomiting all this stuff because I don't talk to people about this. So then you've got this whole thing going on with like, didn't people put in their own money to keep the team going? Like at one point in time, like that's just wild in a good way. And then like this whole thing with so the Premier League is number one and then the the championship is number two. And I'm saying the Champions League and all my nephew and my son are like, no, Dan, it's it's the Championship League. And I felt like Ted Lasso. Did you see the Ted Lasso episode where they're like, well, you know, why do they call it the Championship League? Like, it wouldn't that indicate that it was a better one? And then League One and then League Two. And as I research all this, I'm like, wow, Lee, imagine being last place in League Two. Oh, I can imagine. Well, okay, now have we been there? I mean, is is this this is what we're talking about, right? See, this yes. is stuff that's just amazing to me. I mean, think coming from there and then coming all the way up, like you you guys, old school. I mean, you just must be overjoyed <laughs> because I'm on board when they're you know in the middle, like at the top. I didn't kind of go through it like you folks did. But I feel like I'm going through it now. But we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk about that too, I guess. But this, it is. It's just fascinating. It is lots of different questions that I have. Uh, why don't you jump in? Because I can. This podcast will go forever, and I don't want it to be that way. So go ahead. So, so on that note, we can welcome back our other well guest host. Sure. <laughs> he was um, out on uh, short-term injury, apparently an upper body injury, but he's back in the team. Uh, Greville, it's so good to see you again. (laughs) We're grateful for having you here and seeing you and talking to you. Well, thanks for having me back. And it's, it's wonderful to hear a a new enthusiastic bee from across the pond. And, you know, it's, he's got a lot to learn. Oh my. Yeah. And hopefully he'll enjoy doing it. And hopefully there are quite a few books out there, not just mine, that he can read and are available on Amazon that might tell him a little bit about the heritage of the team that uh, he's chosen. Hopefully then he'll understand why we dislike Fulham and hate Queen's Park Rangers and what happened back in 1967. I think we should set in some homework. (laughs) <laughs> okay. No, it's good. Now, it's my understanding you're familiar with Harry Potter, right? I'm sure. Yeah. And Voldemort is the name that shall not be named. So I will treat the QPR as the, the name that shall not be named. Is that accurate? Is that kind of in the ballpark? You've got to find out why. 
Okay, I will. <laughs> and yeah, so Tim, we're going to have him back on soon. I know. We're going to have to ask him. 67 Queens Park okay. Rangers. Look it up. Yeah, we'll give you a clue. 1967. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'm all in, brother. I'm in. Uh, do I get serious and tell them what's been happening with me or not? Uh, only if you want to. Yeah, look, I, I've had a little bout of breast cancer. Oh, okay. So um, literally out of nothing. So having been the fittest I've ever been in my life, thanks to running, losing weight and exercise, I literally found I had breast cancer just before Christmas. So the last few weeks have been a bit tough, but I'm on the mend. Nothing's spread. Everything's clear. I'm in pain. I'm bloody sore and tired. But, you know, I've probably lost one of my hopefully nine lives, but hopefully a fair few to go. So I'm on the mend. Uh, I'm happy and be back at the GTEC on Monday. So anyway, just thought well, I'd mention Good luck with all that. That's uh, Thank a you. lot. Thank you. I'm glad to see you looking so well and sounding so well. It is really encouraging. Yeah. So one of the resources that any American fan should take advantage of is the Griffin Park Grapevine. If you haven't found it, it is a website it is one of the best curated websites I've ever seen. It, there's so much information, no ads. It's brilliant. Local people talking about games they were at and the experiences they've had. It's a wonderful way to find out about what's happening in real time and, and learn a lot of history. To give you a sense of where we've come from, uh, today, it was mentioned that we've never beaten Cheltenham Town. And I was remembering going to a match in 2002 that was one of the most diabolical experiences where these overaggressive stewards were chucking everyone out for the suspicion of having a drink beforehand. This guy named Stephen Evans standing in front of the goal somehow rolls it wide a uh, guy named Martin Rollins, look him up. Martin, I get, um, I get a little pad here. So. Martin Rollins is so angry at being a Brentford player that he, on the field, quits and actually kicks someone on purpose so as to get red carded. It was, and then a guy named Julian Alsop scores in the 90th minute. It was the word, one of the worst experiences as a football fan you could have and it's so memorable so that's days. where we've been those were the days when we were knocking around at the bottom of the football pyramid we were skint we didn't have a pot to piss in the fans were putting coins and notes in buckets to pay the players wages and to make sure the light and the heat could be switched on now, what year was this? Did you say 2003? 2002. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this was really, yeah, 2003 probably, 2004 with a Nadia. Oh, uh, yeah, here's a new name to look up. Okay, gotcha. You know what I'm going to say. Go on then. Ron Nodes. Look him up. <laughs> say that again. Ron? No. N-O-A-D-E-S. Nodes, N-O-A-D-E-S. Okay, I got that. I got my pad here. Sainted Ron Nodes. 
You're going to have an exam sometime. I am. If I'm, keep going. I'm writing it all down. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I know I shouldn't do it, but he should read my books because it's all in no, there. I thought, no, I So believe me, I'm, I'm a dad busy. I got dogs and chickens. and we'll Get the books to read them to you. I'm going to get the books. And I've been looking at some of the things that are on YouTube. There's some historical videos that are on YouTube as well. Because I do a lot of driving for work, so that's how I've been doing it. But it's not I'm not cheating. I'm going to check out the book, definitely. So you're going to watch all the YouTube videos while you're driving? Well, I listen. Another thing, too, like in terms of podcasts. So I found this podcast mm-hmm. and then Billy the Besotted podcast. Hey. And there's a couple other ones, but they're defunct or they just stopped. They just no, kind of There's the Eating Road podcast. And it's really no. good. And that's a visual that. one. That's that, a really that's good one. Yellow. That's got the yellow beehive on it. Yeah. Like that. Yep. I listen to those gentlemen too. I don't want to hear anything about our opponents though. I want to hear about our team. Like the young man on the Erling Road he usually right. has someone else on. See, I don't want to hear about Nottingham Forest. I don't want to hear about those losers. I want to hear about our team. Stick with us old farts, because that's what we talk about is breakfast. <laughs> So let's talk about Brentford. I think it's worth having a conversation about one of the strangest games I've seen in a long time, where we were better for 80 minutes in a match where we weren't for 10. Uh, Greville, that must have driven you crazy. Well, Mike, did you watch? Do you, do you did you watch it last night? I did. So what I was able to do is. Um, I have a cable at work, so I did I did my paperwork while watching it on USA because that's a whole nother thing. You, it's very tricky here. So I, I was able to to watch it. Yes. And what do you think? Well, you know what I think. So I think it's reminding me of a whole lot of the matches we've had. So they come out like they're being shot out of a cannon, and everything looks really good. And I'm very excited. And then somehow there's an adjustment made on the other end, or we're not doing X. And then lo and behold, it's tied. And and take the lead. And then I get a little bit agitated. But I think there's the chair, Thomas Frank. He knows exactly what we need. That's one of the things they kind of yell. And I often think that we'll lose him and other people because they just tend to it just goes away. Like they, we, they make the adjustments. We don't tend to make adjustments to their adjustments. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's too, I'm not going to get into Mark Flecken yet. We can get into that. <laughs> He's learning fast. Hey, I'm not going to sound like a fan. What do you think of Mark Flecken? So I want to make sure that I know what, I have to know enough about the game, okay? Because I'm trying to be objective here. And here's what I do know. I've been watching club soccer. Now, we're talking we're talking youngsters. But I do know that when the goalie is not playing well, that the defense tends to overcompensate and get pushed back, and they try to rescue a goalie. And I that's what I happen to see. Um, I, I didn't think, you know... We have to talk about David Ray briefly because it's the only thing. It's the only thing that I can compare it to. Suddenly, he's an expert. <laughs> I know. Well, sounds like when you when you watch us play with David Rea, yeah. he literally makes he saves the game with he he has game gave 
game-saving saves or game-changing saves that keep us in. And that one save Mark Flecken made against Crystal Palace, you remember the probably in the beginning of the year, Double it was save. super great save. Then him and Collins, there was a little bit of a mix-up. You know, stuff happens one-to-one, great. But I watched David Rea get the ball with Arsenal last week, and he threw it to somebody and got the assist on a goal. Like, yeah. we had that. I've seen him punt the ball to Ivan Tony. Like, I need that in my life. <laughs> I'm not getting that in my life right now. Um, but I know that it's possibly me. I know there's way more to football, English football, than well, I know. Mike, yeah. you, can I just say Please. that you are utterly and completely and totally spot on in what you've just been saying. Okay. We've gone from having a superb, first-rate international goalkeeper who won games for us and inspired everyone and filled everyone full of confidence and someone in whom we and the team totally trusted and were invested in mm-hmm. having another international goalkeeper who is finding the Premier League a very, very hard place to be, who hasn't really settled down, who has not shown us the qualities we know he possesses from his time at Freiburg in the Bundesliga, where he was probably the best goalkeeper in Germany. He led the he led it with he had six, led the league with shutouts. Yeah. So there is a player in there who has just failed to convince. But the Premier League is a very hard taskmaster. And it's a completely different style of football. Uh, players do different things. Referees respond differently. He's playing with different defenders every week. He hasn't been able to form relationships. You know, with all the injuries we've had, we've lost two fullbacks. We over the course of the season, we've lost all of our centre-halves at times, apart from Pinnock. So it's been very tough for him. And he gave a fairly gruelling interview a couple of weeks ago. Where, I, saw, I don't well, know if I would release that. Well, it's interesting. And I'm being quite serious now, given your background in mental health. And I, I also teach a relaxation therapy. I have a little bit of, I have enough knowledge to be dangerous. I seriously worried about him in that interview because the one thing you expect of most Dutchmen, and I'm sort of stereotyping, is confidence and arrogance to a degree. And it was totally lacking in him. And I thought, okay, it's good that you realize that things haven't gone as well as we will all have hoped. And it's good that you are very self-critical. And it's good that you vow to improve. But it sounded and felt like there were other things going on. On the field that were impacting on his football. Maybe I'm reading things that weren't there, but I was profoundly worried for him. How do you feel as a professional? Well, it's interesting that you would say that because this is his home, right? And the team really, we have to, they have, we all take care of each other. You think of your coworkers. I work, I work with a really amazing team of people. Now that's his home and that's his team. So another thing that we can also think about is when people come out publicly and share certain things, like what he shared, think of how much worse it probably is for him. Because he shared how much he struggled. And if you're talking about a stereotype of like that, if this gentleman said that, 
on, on public video, it's probably a little bit more of a struggle. And you kind of wonder, you want to protect your people. I probably would have maybe not edited it, but maybe kind of coached them on that. Because now everyone's saying, oh, great. You know, look how people stereotype or deal with people when they have a struggle. Oh, oh, look at this guy. He can't even handle this. And he's like, people aren't kind a lot of the time. And the general public, I mean, you know, it speaks for itself. I kind of felt bad for him and his affect. He looks sad. And I feel and I feel bad for him to a certain extent. But I think they could have protected him a little bit better with maybe editing that, maybe saying, hey, you know, maybe using different language. I mean, and I understand that's the interview. But I did. I felt like, geez, this isn't going to help him in the eyes of your basic fan. You know what? I mean, what? I, that's just my opinion. I don't know what you what you guys think about what it. What did you think was going on in his head? I think he's like maybe leaving my home, my other team was a mistake. <laughs> maybe this isn't working out. Maybe I'm not going to say he's going to make an excuse because. You know, everything's subjective, right? It's, he's emo, it's emotionally subjective. The guy's kind of going through it. Maybe he's thinking, I'm not getting what I need. I don't know what he's thinking because I can tell you in my life, and you both can probably understand, sometimes I've said certain things I didn't mean or didn't come out right. So we never really, really know deep inside what people really mean. We just go with what we're given. But I don't know. What do you think? I, well, can I th- put my two cents in? Gregor and I both play goalkeeper. And um, one of the things that is true of the position, and it's true in hockey goalies and all of goalies, and it's kind of a Ted Lasso thing that I've used or heard well before Ted Lasso, which is goalkeepers need to have the memories of goldfish. They need to be arrogant. They need to be self-confident. They need to be um, almost eager for players to shoot so they could show off how good they are. They need to have a swagger. And Flecken lacks that. And I think it's something subtly that his fullbacks are aware of. He doesn't have David Reyes almost swagger and self-confidence that says, okay, one went by, ain't going to be two. You know? I think he's absorbing more than a goalkeeper, a successful goalkeeper, ever should. I'm all aware that sensitivity to whatever mental health issues we're talking about is important. But from the purely perspective of um, a footballing success, you can't be that guy. You just can't be. Well, here, here's something else. See. When you live in the U.S., the continental United States, if I drive from New York State and I go and I go to southern Pennsylvania or northern Virginia, it's not another planet or another country. This gentleman plays in Germany, so to another country in, in the U.K. or England, well, as you'd say, West London, that has to have a certain impact on somebody as well. And I don't know if there's staff on hand who he hangs out with that shows him around or if he if he has a buddy or maybe he's got a wife or a husband or whatever and the transition's not going well i mean there could be can be a lot of things happening um does he have kids is there a sick relative 
I mean, yeah, we don't all know. this is all yeah. this is well and good. And I know how right. hearted I sound, no, but it's I'm, not OK. You're right. It's, and that's it's my not point. Gonna be OK, if he doesn't gain that authority and almost vicious goalkeeper mentality. He wouldn't have played to the level, be a full international. And it does take time to readjust. Maybe he does have issues off the field. Maybe his family are finding it hard to settle. Maybe he's got kids who are school age. Who knows? But the point is, you can't expect and demand that people become automatums. You know, we all have issues and problems that affect our our day-to-day life. The difference is we don't have to work in front of 60,000 people, which is what you had to do last night. And actually, let's say it now, I actually thought he had probably his best game of the season last night. I thought he was exceptionally good and confident. And actually, maybe whatever happened in and around that interview, and let's not imbue it with more importance than perhaps it deserves, maybe it was cathartic. Maybe something has come out of it that's good. Maybe he's offloaded. Who knows? But I thought I thought last night he was very, very decent, although, of course, he was pilloried online by a lot of idiot Brentford supporters, yeah. so-called Brentford supporters, who are just following their own agendas and have decided already that the guy is useless and not up to it. And nothing he can do bar saving a penalty every week and then coming up for a last minute corner and heading an equaliser, which, in fact, he tried to do is going to convince them otherwise. So I would give him a little bit of slack. Am I disappointed? Yes, I am, because I expected far better. But at the same time, it can't be easy moving at short notice and suddenly stepping up a level or two in a new environment. So I have given him some slack uh, and continue to do so. But at the same time, We've needed to see some improvement from him. And I thought last night, I mean, what did you guys, what did you think about his performance last night? I think the, if it was a, it was the first goal, it was a deflection and he was actually moving and it, and he, you can't help deflections. Um, you can't. I mean, the guy's got size. He definitely has the size and you're right. He's an international and he's had success. I have to say that, I think it was the second goal when Nathan Collins was trying to come back and that what's his name there? Brendan Johnson scored that goal. Yeah. I, re- we don't I like, was really hoping we don't that Collins. like Brendan Johnson. Say again. We don't like Brendan Johnson. No, we don't. We don't. I, well, and that's a whole other thing with the, with Forrest, but I really thought that Collins it. was going to cut him off. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and, and he didn't. So some of the D, eh, but maybe we can talk about the defense later. <laughs> I don't, I don't I'm, I'm eager to talk about Collins later. Uh, let me ask you this, Greville. Yeah. Do you think, as the transfer window slams shut in a couple hours, do you believe that this signing of this Icelandic, apparently very special goalkeeper, Val Demersen, do you think that's indicative of the club maybe losing faith? Um, not in the slightest. Um, you don't think so? I don't think so. I, I mean... He's a seventh goalkeeper in the club now. Well, let's... If we want to go through it, let's go through it. You've got 
Flecken, who we spent, from Brentford's point of view, an awful lot of money on. I think it was about 10, 11 million pounds for him. That's a lot of money. And I would have thought that the previous record signing as a goalkeeper was David Rea. I think we paid three million for him. And obviously we're going to get 10 times what we paid when we sell him. If Arsenal ever write a cheque, you know, don't write cheques anymore. Make a backs payment or whatever. You've got Thomas Trakosha, who is bubbling under, pitching and moaning in the background, who was either sold or bought a pup in as much as he was probably expecting a lot more. Uh, hasn't been given many opportunities, but the question has to be asked, has he done enough to merit opportunities? And when he's given an opportunity, has he seized them? Uh, everyone has a different view. My view is that he came thinking he was in a fair fight, fair competition with David Rea. David Rea was so much better than anyone else. He was never going to get a look in. He had a couple of cup matches last season. Didn't really cover himself in glory in, glory in the West Ham game with the side Ben Rama winner that went straight through him, really, or over his left shoulder without him re- uh, reacting. As far as this season goes, again, perhaps he was disappointed when Flecken came in. But you have to say, if you've got an international goalkeeper in your squad and he's not playing, something's not right. And you can only think that the thing that's not right is Strakosha and how he either plays or trains or his attitude. Now, I'm not trying to malign or defame him because I have no idea, but it doesn't feel right. Now, he came in at the last minute against Manchester United when Flecken had appendicitis or an appendicitis scare. He did okay. He did well enough for us just to lose the game in injury time, really appallingly. And I personally blamed him for at least one of the two goals. Um, you know that I disagree. Yeah, you can disagree. That's fine. You, I thought you, he played well. Yeah, I didn't. He played against Wolves and he <laughs> okay in both <laughs> games. So maybe he's been a bit unlucky, but something ain't right there. He's got one more year on his contract. And I would have thought it's an absolute certainty that he will leave at the end of the season. So you've got that situation. So let's assume Flecken recovers. Then you're looking for a number two. Now, my understanding of Mr. Valdemarsen uh, is that he's young, he's promising, he's an international, he's massive, he has a good reputation. And he wasn't expensive as an international goalkeeper. And at 22 and at six foot five or whatever he is, he's probably got a lot of growing still to do. No, not really. But he's got a lot of development potential. And I believe that we've bought him for his potential. And it might even be kindly described as a bit of a punt because go from football um, in Sweden to the top flight in the UK is a massive step. Now, Pontus Janssen's done, done it in the other way around now. He's gone back to Malmo. But this guy's come with a good reputation. And, you know, I think he's there to be told, show us what you've got. 
Um, and it's possible he might end up as number two before the end of the season if he shows us something. Obviously, he won't get first-team games unless something weird happens. He'll have to play in the B team because there's no more cup games. You've then got the situation of the the other goalkeepers. You've got Ellery Balcom, who's still knocking about, who's I know had an operation lately. So whether he's still whether he's fit, nobody knows. Who got a long-term contract extension earlier in the season? Played at Newport in the Carabao Cup and won us the game with two penalty saves. So you can't really quibble. There's a goalkeeper in there. You've got Matthew Cox, who's very highly rated, who's had a pretty decent loan spell at Bristol Rovers, although it's turning a bit sour at the moment where he's been dropped. But I'm sure his time will come again. So at the end of the season, you'll have a situation where you have five goalkeepers. You've also got young Ben Winterbottom, who's come back from his loan spell at Welling. There's a goalkeeper in there and he'll have a career, but it won't be at Brentford. Uh, and again, as Phil Giles said to me a couple of years ago, it's always great to have a lot of goalkeepers knocking around the place because you need them in training, you know, to be Aunt Sally's and to participate in shooting and crossing drills. So it will settle itself down. Uh, but obviously... And Jelly, the B-team goalkeeper, I might have that wrong, but he's very well... He's another kid. His reviews have been good. But he's very young, ex-Watford, Scottish... I think he's been in the under-21 squad for Scotland, so he's obviously good. Maybe you can't have too many good goalkeepers, but there's got to be a bit of a shakeout at the end of the season. And I, my hope is that we end, as, end up with Flecken number one, because he will have proved himself, and Valdemarsen as number two next season. Maybe they'll want to loan Valdemarsen out uh, to get him league experience and bring in another experience number two. Who knows? Um, but anyway, he's coming. We'll see. We'll see. Now, but- I had a question about the Bundesliga, which is the German league. Is Mark Mark Flecken has to make an adjustment from playing in that league. What is that league like compared to the Premier League in terms of like, are people a little bit more a little more rough? Like, is there a different style of play that he just hasn't made the adjustment to yet? Because I, I wouldn't know anything about that. I would. I think the Premier League is a bit more physical. Okay. He has to deal with more crosses. He's put under a lot more physical pressure. Referees don't allow goalkeepers in Germany to be touched. Over here, they're still overprotected, but you know certainly they will be blocked off and obstructed. And they'll have to show their own strength of character and physicality to get through the crowds to deal with, with set pieces, corners and free kicks. And Flecken has failed miserably in doing that up till today. Although yesterday he did. He, he actually looked strong and confident. So I'm hopeful that maybe the pennies drop, maybe whatever coaching he's been getting is paying off. But you're right, goalkeeping is a problem because it was one of our strengths. Now, obviously, Flecken does share one of Rea's strengths in terms of his distribution, which is quick and accurate. And having Tony back is a massive help because he's now got somebody he can aim at down the field when he needs to go long. Obviously, without Mbumo, we don't have to pace alongside Tony. And that was what was so brilliant, is that we could hit teams quickly in transition. 
And we can't really do that to the extent that we used to. So we've still got a lot of problems knocking about. We've still got lots of injuries. Talking more generally, I thought the first half last night was almost perfect. We set lots of traps for them, which they fell into. Mope was at his shithousing best, worst, Mm -hmm. and they fell into that trap. Um, And we're more concerned with trying to kick him off the pitch rather than scoring goals against us. We were in a low block. Spurs tried to go through the middle rather than down the wings where they should have done and where they did successfully in the second half when they changed things around. We caught them on the break and frankly should have been more than one goal ahead at half time. Tony's goal was well made and well taken. The best bit of finishing in the whole match was by Mads Roslev, who unfortunately was offside. Well, he wasn't offside. Jensen was offside when he put him through. It was a masterclass of tactical inspiration by Thomas Frank, first half. We restricted them to almost nothing. And we had three or four good chances. There was a header from Tony that he put too close to the keeper. made a bit of a camera save. And then there was the Ethan Pinnock back heel, which would have been an incredible goal, uh, which came after a corner in which Collins was being manhandled horrendously. But Mm -hmm. the rest of Mr. Blind Pew Coote obviously didn't see anything, saw no evil, as always. Um, Norgard was back to his majestic self, uh, best. He was incredible. Got a booking. Some people feel it was harsh. Just barely a foul. Yeah, I, I, I thought he knew exactly what he was doing and was blocking the guy off and stopping him breaking away. Mike, 30 yards from the Spurs goal, I don't think he was breaking up play. If it was in the midfield, I would say, okay, there was an element of intention. But I think he just got the guy's foot instead of the ball. And I just thought, is there no... Spurs players were getting finger-wagging warnings all yeah. match. Norgard tackle, and he gets a yellow. I thought it was large club derangement syndrome of the worst kind. Do they have? Is there a component of incidental contact in the Premier League? I mean, I've seen some of it um, because things are just going to happen because it's physical, it's fast. You know, things are going to happen. I wonder if sometimes we get hosed because I think it's little old Brentford versus, you know, Man City versus Liverpool versus those clubs. Absolutely. Um, and that's exactly what I am accusing Kuda, that he was, you know, basically saying, well, whatever you want, Mr. Madison. Oh, that looked like a foul to me. And meanwhile, Norgard commits an innocuous foul that doesn't affect the game, that doesn't break up play. And the thing about that card is he's two away from a two-match ban. Now, explain that to me. And that's a huge crisis. Now, that's one thing I don't understand. After you get a certain amount of yellows, like, how how does that systemically work? Because I know Ben Mee was out, but I'm like, well, he didn't get a red card. No, wait a minute. He did. He did when he stepped So explain the hierarchy of people getting removed for whatever that is. You get five yellow cards before a certain date. I think it's mid-December. 
you get a one-match ban. Okay. If you get 10 yellow cards by, I think it's about mid-April. I, I, again, I can look up the date. So 11 sure. matches from now. Yeah. Then you get a two-match ban. Okay. If you get sent off, you will either get a one-match ban, generally, if it's uh, two yellow cards, or you'll get a three-match ban if you are sent off for violent conduct. Or if, if you're sent off for denial of a goal-scoring opportunity, okay. it's only a one-match ban. There's a bit more to it than that, but that's the essence of it. A straight-up red is a three-match ban. Usually. Okay, so see, that's the yeah. It might only be a, a one if it's a denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. It's only three if it's uh, absolute foul play. That's the one part where I'm I'm coming along a bit. Some of the minutia. Ben Mee got sent off. Yes. Because he was up in attack from at a corner or a free kick. They broke away, and he was determined not to let them make a quick break. And he went into a what was deemed to be a dangerous tackle, which was adjudicated to be serious foul play. And he was sent off for an immediate red card, which was a three-match ban, which cost us because we were winning that game 1-0 and doing very well. And, and we it took the VAR a while to make their decision. I remember that. Yeah, but it, it was a red card. I think. Yeah. So th those are some of the things that I'm yeah. kind of coming along with. Like, for example, I'm, I'm asking 12-year-olds the rules and how things work. But um, the FFP, this whole thing. Oh, was See, I, I was always thought that no, about that. Not tonight. Not tonight, please. Well, <laughs> I always thought well, this can be, this can do, this can do a bit. That's your homework. Look at us. Yeah. <laughs> Let's. Let me come back with that in the future because right. okay. I, I thought there was no salary cap because right. I, I just know these American terms. You can worry about that next time. <laughs> there is a podcast. Okay. The UK podcast called The Price of Football. Okay. The Price of Football, which is co-hosted by a football finance expert called Kieran Maguire okay. and Kevin Day, who's a comedian. And it's a double act and it works. And it's on, on, you get it on a Monday and a Thursday. So one came out this morning. And basically, they discuss the finance of football. So okay. they'll be talking about FFP. They'll be talking about parachute payments. They'll okay. be talking about clubs in financial crisis, bad owners, good owners. It's a very good listen. I got it right here. So right. that's still so to the extent that it affects us directly. Everton currently, well, has earned 28 points, six more than us, but due to a financial penalty of 10 points, is now 18th in the relegation zone yeah. with 18 points. So, you know, depending on whether that gets overturned on appeal, Everton's suddenly in huge danger of relegation because of misdeeds financially. Yep. That I know. I got that going. Hey, so can I change the subject to one more player? And we may only have time for one more player. Sure. And that is Nathan Collins, because he came up already. Sure. And I noticed on the third goal something that, you know, in my playing career, one of my coaches used to harp on, which is space never scored a goal. Find a man and don't let him 
beat you as a defender. On the third goal, given the choice between staying with Richarlison and retreating to the goal line, he's retreated to the goal line, leaving Richarlison wide open. There seems to be, and I know he's young, there seems to be a Harley Dean-esque, look it up, mistake in Collins on a regular basis. Are you worried, Greville? Worried about what? Collins generally. I mean, I was at the match where he gave Boris two goals. He seems to have mistakes in him, and it's increasing, not decreasing. I think they've all got mistakes in this season. I think they've all been jittery. I think the fact that we've obviously rotated between three at the back, five at the back, four at the, two at the back, four at the back, whatever. There have been players coming in and out. We don't have those established partnerships. We know last year that when we played 4-3-3, it would be Hickey, me, Pinnock, Henry. We had four experienced pros, Hickey not so much, but very good play, young player, who knew each other's games inside out, who knew what they were each everyone was gonna do. They covered for each other, it worked. And when we went to a five at the back, you know, Christopher Ayer would come in or Zanka, um, you know, whoever it might be, it worked. Um, this season, we just haven't really got started. Everyone's been injured, and the injuries we've got have always been long term, not little knocks. It's always been three months. Hickey has disappeared off the face of the earth. Yeah. It's been seen since the since October at Chelsea. Well, nobody, he's been skiing. Well, nobody knows where he is or how close he is to coming back. Ben Mee, of course, has been injured and then gets a three-match ban. Collins has been injured. Ayers, a walking sick note, but he's been fit for the last month or so. Uh, Rico, of course, we won't see till October, November. It, it's been a complete and utter nightmare. So leaving aside the fiasco against Wolves when we conceded twice in 10 seconds and to a degree last night, three goals in seven or eight minutes. It, it's a sign of disorganization when you can see goals in clumps and we're doing that. And that worries me. And I don't think there's really an answer until we can get established partnerships back in place. And at, also I think it's linked to, the goalkeeper not being very sure of, the, of his defence and vice versa. So we've just, I think we've just got to live with it. The first 50 minutes, i.e. because it was a 50-minute, 50 51-minute first half, showed what we can do. We were confident. We were co- concentrated. We were organised. We had a plan. We stuck to it. Spurs, to a degree, played into our hands. But when they adapted and when they changed their game, we were lost. But at the same time, we lost our shape for each of those goals. Um, there was too much of a gap between the midfield and the defence players. We're talking about the back four or five, but really, you can't have a midfielder run at your back four for 40 yards unchallenged, like happened all three times. But, but also, goal one and goal three were very lucky ricochets. But... Your luck. We never called it luck when it happened for us in previous years. 
Well, they could have gone anywhere. There again, in the first half, we were defending on the edge of our box. And if there were ricochets, they were at least away from our goal. In the second half, first 15 minutes, we were defending near our six-yard box. So we were pushed back. And Spurs made that made their own luck. And they had that purple patch. We couldn't live with them. I think we contributed greatly to our own downfall. But we came back. And I think that's one of the other pluses of last night. And there were lots of pluses of last night, from Flecken to Christian Norgaard, who was peerless. Tony and Mope looking like they had a real partnership between the two. I mean, they've scored four goals between them in in, uh, in two games, which is in itself is pretty amazing. Tony had five chances last night. Five. The one that he dragged wide that was so unfortunate. <clears throat> the one that annoyed me more was the free header, 10 minutes for half time. And he hit. He headed it hard, but pretty close to the keeper. Yeah. And he just had to put that in a corner, and we'd have been two up. He hit that 25-yard venomously just wide, not quite as near as Richarlison's fantastic effort in the first half, which I thought had gone in, but again hit the stanchion at the back of the net. Well, um, here's a here's a name that you both talk about that had a point-blank opportunity missed was Baptiste. Oh, we haven't got there yet. <laughs> there he is. Right there. Yeah. And like you say, did they, did they see something we don't see? Tim, no, you, you're parroting Tim here. Um, I mean, but that's facts, really. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> uh, look, we, we were out of the game at 3-1. We then created two really good chances for Tony. The second one when he slipped when he should have scored. Yeah. Spurs were coming back, were going backwards. They gifted us the second goal, best through ball of the game, uh, straight to you know, where, where the left back split his own defence. Tony took it well, 3-2. Looked to have hurt himself. I hope he hasn't hurt his calf or anything. Whether Hopefully he's just a bit knackered. I mentioned this. He was doing that well before the goal yeah. when he was doing it observably. If you look before that on a free kick or corner, He's stretching his calf and limping, and I mean, I got really worried in real time. Oh, if he's out, we're screwed. Uh, <laughs> simple as that. Yeah, uh, yeah frankly. But, but we got it back to three-two, and then Tottenham panicked. They went to five at the back, gave us the impetus. We went to four-three-three. I think it was four-three-three. Um, Keen Lewis Potter, who was exceptional at left wing back, because obviously um, we couldn't we. We couldn't play uh, Regulon because it was against his own team. Uh, he was wonderful going forward and at the back. He worried them. Josh De Silva came on and looked wonderful again. He the business. He terrified them. And he, he went both sides. He went inside. He went outside. Couldn't quite get a shot away once. And then, of course, right in injury time, he wins the ball back and puts this cross and Baptiste wasn't the easy, an easy chance, but it came in and Baptiste had to hit it quickly, hit it first time. But he had the whole goal to aim at and he put it pretty much straight over the goalkeeper's head. It was probably going over the bar anyway. Yeah. Uh, Vicario helped it over very comfortably. 
that was the chance for a point. And I think we deserve the point, really, because for all but 10 minutes of that game, I'm not saying we were in control because we weren't, but we were pretty comfortable. And I think that's what I take out of that match. The fact that we were comfortable for the majority of it. We looked solid. Uh, we looked creative. We came forward. We broke forward. We pressed them very high. Nathan Collins early on, did you see, was pressing uh, Madison 25 yep. yards from the Spurs goal. Now, that was interesting. And you've noticed that we've taken an hour to mention James Madison. Let's not bother with him anymore. I, I really don't want to talk about him. Uh, we all know what we think of him. So uh, another three points that we could have got. I think that's 23 points now that we've lost from winning positions, which is just crazy. This is a mad bonkers season where all bets are off. Yes, we've got players coming back, but quite when they're coming back. Of course, every other team's getting their players back from the African Cup of Nations and the Asia Cup. We're not. Bloody Congo, bloody Nigeria, bloody Iran. Keep winning. Um, I know it's good for them and perhaps good for us in terms of, you know, developing awareness and profile for the club. But you know what? I wouldn't mind Johan Visser back. I wouldn't even mind Frank the Tank back for Monday. It's the sort of game he'll do well in. And Simon Godos, of course, can play anywhere. I don't think he'll get in the starting 11 anymore, but he would certainly be helpful on the bench. So, you know, it's like everything that can go wrong is going wrong at the moment, or nothing is going right. But we just have to keep fighting. We have to hope that um, Hickey emerges from the Bermuda Triangle or wherever he is. We have to hope that at some point, uh, we might see Kevin Sharda. Some we might see Brian and Bumo, that they come back fit and raring to go, and they provide us with what we haven't got, which is pace. And pace is what wins your game in this division. That's really what's going on. We've got Man City at home, which is a free hit, but we did the double over them last year. So I can tell you something that Pep Guardiola will have them fired up for this game. Yeah. Won't be taking us easy. They will want to absolutely muller us. And it's up yeah. to us to prevent that. So there's a lot to we've got to be concerned about. We've got a lot of very tough games ahead. It might still get worse before it gets better. It will get better. Now you then move on to the transfer window, which as they say, slams shut in just under two hours. And Frankly, there's been no action from Brentford um, in the last few days or weeks of the window. Um, it would have been nice if we could have strengthened, but obviously the powers that be have decided that um, we filled the gap with Sergi Regulon, and that was a gap we had to fill. And he, of course, will come in on Monday and he will provide us with attacking Brio, some defensive solidity. Um, we've talked about um, the goalkeeper. We also signed a young Turk, Yunus Konak, uh, a future superstar who will fit right into Brentford because he's put himself out for four months in one of his first training sessions. Um, I, I'm led to believe he had nobody near him. He went to kick the ball and was then seen screaming on the floor and is out for four months. 
Um, it sounds a bit like a Kevin Chard or a doctor type injury. Um, I don't think he was expected to play, but it's just symptomatic of what's been going on. So we've brought in a couple of B team players. Um, we've brought in a young kid called Ben Crowhouse from Bromley, who's a bit of a Ryan Trevitt, an attacking midfielder, apparently very promising. And we've loaned him back to Bromley, so he's playing National League football. That's basically the fifth division. Uh, so he's getting decent football every week. And then, of course, we signed. Um, who did we sign? We Muta. Yeah, we, we we basically signed someone from Uzbekistan, Mukhamadai Yurinbov, uh, who's an 18-year-old attacking midfielder. Uh, I've totally mangled his name. God only knows what we've got there. Maybe a star of the future. And it's wonderful that we're prospecting from the Uzbekistan Super League, Pakator Tashkent. So he comes on a six-month loan. And he, of course, could be anything or nothing. Um, we've also sent some people out on loan. Uh, poor Charlie Good has gone to Wigan. And, of course, he got crocked in his first game and is out. So he can't, you know, if you even if you're attached to Brentford and go out, you get you get cropped like Ryan Trevitt is at the moment. And I think that um, uh, Stevens, Finn Stevens got injured playing for Oxford the other night, too. So there's that. Um, we sent Miles Pert Harris, who had a few little cameos uh, in the first team recently because we had nobody else. Um, he's gone to Portsmouth, where he'll do well on loan. And then, controversially, we sent uh, Michael Olakigby to Peterborough. And that's an interesting one, because for him, it's a great loan. Peterborough play really good attacking football. They've lost Poku, their star winger. There's a hole for him to go into. He will absolutely thrive there in the third division, or Division 1, whatever it's called. From our perspective... He was filling out our bench, but he was getting a few minutes. Um, and I think the view was he wasn't really going to be called upon much. But if Josh De Silva does his hamstring again or Keen Lewis Potter goes down, then we're screwed again. So, But let's look positively and hope that we're over the worst of injuries. Um, I mean, and the, the thing about the window that's most important is what we didn't do. And that is... And I don't understand where this came from. On Yakov rumors, Hickey rumors, and of course, we, you and I, Greville, have talked about whether Tony was going in this window. None of those occurred. No, you're absolutely right. We haven't lost anyone, and certainly haven't lost anyone that we needed to keep. Um, I think it was a foregone conclusion that Tony was going to stay, uh, leaving aside... You know, he owes us and all those sort of uh, philosophical arguments. Um, there's no money around. You know, no one's spending any money. Um, and it will take a lot of money to entice him away from us at the end of the season. He's already scored two in two. If he gets 10 goals between now and the end of the season, then he is putting himself in prime position for an England call-up, plus also a move to a club where he thinks he deserves to be. And You'll luck. note that Southgate was there. Yeah, yeah. And Tony was decent. Um, nothing brilliant, but he gave us a focal point. Um, so 
And then the other thing, of course, is, well, two things. What I would like to have seen would have been some contract extensions for the like of, of Norgard, who's got, I think, a couple of years left. Josh De Silva, who's out of contract at the end of this season, although we have an option, which I'm sure we'll take. But I would like to see him given a longer contract. Aaron Hickey has only got two more years, as has, I think, Mbumo's only got two years, maybe with an option. So there's action there that would be nice to be taken. And then, of course, this week we've had the um, Antonio Nusa saga. Yeah. Um, where official news has been totally non-existent because, of course, he's not our player. And, of course, the club won't officially comment on that, and quite rightly so. So we've had to rely on all sorts of rumour, innuendo, scuttlebutt, lies, maybe bits of the truth from social media, from sources, some more reputable than others. Um, what we can piece together is that this is a wunderkind of 18 who's Danish, I think half Danish, half Nigerian, um, already a full international, playing for Club Bruges in Belgium, playing not every game, but playing fairly regularly. His showreel show demonstrates an incredibly talented two-footed player who's a dribbler. Um, obviously, an awful lot of development still, but some innate genius as well. We've identified him. A lot of other clubs had. It didn't take a lot to identify him. But we persuaded him that Brentford was the best opportunity. And apparently, he's been in the, he's been in the ground. Um he was very impressed by the club, by Christopher Ayer, who's a teammate of his from Norway, and he wanted to join us. And what was intended was that we would buy him now and then loan him back to Club Bruges for the rest of the season. Um, now, there's a very good friend of mine called Anthony Bidolf, who's on the grapevine, who lives and works part of the week in Belgium. And he bumped into him. I don't know if you saw this on the grapevine. He actually was on the same plane as him on Monday, flying back from his medical. And, and he spent time with him as a lovely photograph of the two of them on the grapevine. I saw. I yeah. saw. And he said, this was the most wonderful young man, bright as a button, friendly, spoke better English than us, spoke very well totally enthused at the prospect of joining Brentford. And over the last window or so, we have got close, but no cigar, to young superstars. We all know about them. Let's not bother. And in each case, it's fallen through because something's gone wrong at the other end, or we've been gazumped, or the player doesn't want to join us, or someone, as I say, spent more money. This one, allegedly, and again, we've got to be careful because the club hasn't commented and I'm sure won't comment, but we're led to believe through social media, which may or may not be correct, that this one was happening and it would have been a massive signing for us, even if he weren't to play until next season, has fallen through because apparently he's failed his medical. Um, we're led to believe that even at the age of 18, he has issues and we're, we're told, rightly or wrongly, issues with knee and back. 
Now, whatever's happened has meant that the deal has not gone through. There is talk that it might go through at the end of the season because he will still want to have joined us. But obviously, if nothing's been signed and sealed, all bets are off. So it's possible that he will be with us at the beginning of next season if he's deemed fit enough, if we still want him, if he still wants us. A lot of variables. But the, the, the opportunity to get him signed and sealed and delivered, even if he wasn't going to play for us for the rest of the season, looks like it's gone. And it does sound as if it's us that have made that decision, which means that something's gone wrong. And if something goes wrong, it's either the player changes his mind, the club buggers us around, an agent starts making demands, or something's come up in a medical that makes us worry. And if we're playing, paying over 30 million euros, massively over our club record, at 50% over our club record, I think we have to be sure and certain that what we're buying is fit for purpose. Now, I might be spouting absolute rubbish, but no one's, no one's going to tell me I am. Um, that's what I'm putting together. I'm putting together that we wanted him, he wanted us, but as is the case with everything else in this godforsaken, and I'm going to use a bad word, fucking season. I'm sorry, but it's, <laughs> everything's turning to shit. And I apologize for my outburst, but I think it's merited. Uh, this would have been a game-changing uh, signing, even for the future, if not for this season. Maybe, and please God, it will still happen down the line. Um, maybe it won't. So that was the big, that would have been the big signing that would have captured the attention and made people look at us in a different way and would actually help make us easier to sign bigger name players in the future. But it hasn't happened for whatever reason. And it would appear it's us that have pulled the plug. Perhaps, maybe again, I'm, you know, Phil Jars, whether he listens to this and maybe he's listening to it and saying, that bloody waterman hasn't got a clue what he's talking about and he's probably entirely right. But that's my reading of the situation. And I only hope and pray that it can be resurrected at some point in the future because that's the sort of player who will change the way we play and change the way we're regarded. Anyway, that's the transfer window, where which I thought would be much ado about everything, but actually it's much ado about not too much. Yeah. Signing Regulon was an absolute essential, sine qua non. We had to get that done. Um, the young keeper, not bad. The young Turk, it's comical. Uh, it just sums up what this season is all about. Noosa, I think, would have been a game changer, even for the future. So that's it. We haven't lost anyone, as you rightly say. Unfortunately, we haven't extended anyone's contract either. But... As far as the window is concerned, it certainly isn't a failure because we've got three young, we've got three players in, one of whom will help us immediately. And they're two young prospects who, again, hopefully will be there in and around the first team in the next year or so. Plus a couple of B team players, one of whom I suspect will be very, very good. Um, that's really it, guys. Anything you want to add about the window? 
I, it's, you made a comment about social media and there are some places on X or Twitter I'm looking at and I'm refreshing and I'm refreshing about the young man from Belgium and you just don't know what's true and what's not true. You, you, have, you don't know. And the other thing I noticed is people just cut and paste one reporter's script and it just gets retweeted or resent. And I just don't know what to think. In terms of my assessment of the of the transfer window, I think you uh, about you pretty much summed it up. I don't have anything to add, or I've no comment. Hey, I think we are actually um, getting to the end of this wonderful sure. podcast, Mike. I do want to, before we go, um, ask Neil Greville about his appearance on English TV today. Do you want to tell people about your appearance on TV? Yeah, it's not my appearance. Um, there is a per TV personality called Bradley Walsh, who is a pretty well-known actor, comedian, personality, impresario, call it what you want, uh, ex-footballer, who actually was at Brentford for a couple of years in the late 70s or early 80s. Never played for the first team, but was kept on by the manager, Bill Dodgeham, because he made everybody laugh. Um, and very, very nice man. Uh, Americans would know this, would be able to relate to this. When the English did a Law & Order UK, he played one of the detectives sort of the Jerry Orbach character when they did a version of it. But look him up, Bradley Walsh, W-A-L-S-H. Um, really, really nice guy and a big, big star. Um, I got to know him, no, I didn't get to know him, but I got to meet him a few times because I wrote a biography of a Brentford legend called Bob Booker. Look him up. Um, right down. <laughs> Who are Bob Bukar story available at on an Amazon near you and on Kindle, Bob Booker. Um, and he, Bob, who was the ultimate journeyman footballer who played for Brentford for about 10 years and then went to Sheffield United, became a superhero there, was assistant manager at Brighton for six clubs, for six managers. Um, he and Bradley um, grew up together in the Watford. And have been fast friends for 40 years, 50 years. And um, I wrote Bob's biography, which was a fantastic experience, just great fun. And about life as a footballer in the 70s, 80s and 90s, you know, the mental health problems, the insecurities, lack of money, treated like sheep. Incredible, incredible story. Um, proud to have written that and Bradley wrote the forward uh, and came up with the really nice because he was a mate but anyway um, so I've bumped into him a couple of times since and he's always been really kind you know I mean, he doesn't know me from Adam really but he remembers me he remembers the book and everything so he is the compare of a quiz show called The Chase which is on five days a week in daytime, late daytime TV. And it's a quiz show for family. I'm not even going to go into the format of it. And suddenly 
this question comes up today. Greville Waterman's book, uh, Just a Bus Stop in Hounslow, is a book about which league, t- which team, and it had Brentford, QPR, and probably Watford. And someone got it right. Someone thought it was QPR. And then he started, he just went off on a riff and said, the great Greville Waterman, wonderful writer of incredible football books, uh, highly recommended. Then he wrote a book about my friend, Bob Bukar, and he went, ooh, ah, the Bob Bukar. So he went on in his riff for about 30 seconds. It was great. And, um, and I've got it. it it's, um, yeah, it's done my head in, actually. It was really quite fun. So I, I actually got his mobile, not that I'd ever ring it. Um, and I actually sent him a WhatsApp just saying thanks and how are you? And he replied within two minutes. Oh, great. Just just saying hi, you know, nothing. I want to engage with him. Um, so that's been, that, that's actually, because as I said, it's not been the best of few weeks. So that's made me feel good. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry to have uh, monopolized the time now, but uh, okay. anyway, that's it really. <laughs> Hey, Mike, listen, um, we do have to call it time no, at great. some point. But um, I've been uh, I've just been charmed and, and <laughs> so uh, enamored of your enthusiasm and your um, new passion and your questions. And I think you're a model new American fan. You uh, represent so many of our American fans. And it's great to hear that that passion is growing. We've got a laundry list of assignments for you now. All right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're going to have to look up War Cups and and Harry Curtis and so many other things. But um, anyway, Michael, it's great to have you on. And, I'm uh, very grateful, very grateful for the time. Um, I'll, I have my homework. Um, Greville, good luck. I mean, on the mend, fantastic. I'll... Uh, spread the word um i have a brentford a cool actual cool brentford hat that i wear and everyone kind of look and they think it's a a liverpool hat but i educate them but i really appreciate the time um in the future if we can connect that'd be great and you know you know know, come on you bees right let's go you you can get hold of me anytime you like um at gmail.com okay there you go i'll i'll Love seriously. It, yeah, I will. I've really, really enjoyed listening to you because <laughs> it's, it doesn't come over as patronizing. It's genuine because yeah, no, I'm no fresh insights, and I love. I it. appreciate that. It's all. It's just pure energy, as Spock yeah. said. So stay in touch. Are you, you I will, to guys. Thank you so much for your time. Take care. You too. Bye now. <laughs>